This is Coda Radio, episode 492 for November 14th, 2022. Hey, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. It's taken a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development, and you guessed it, the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us, collating the results from his survey, it's a spreadsheet master, Mr. Dominic. What's up? I'm no Nate Silver, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> I think you might you might have a better shot. Ooh. They've really been blowing it recently. <laughs> a couple rough cycles. Date's probably been better than the rest for a little while, but you know what I mean. It's been rough. It's been real rough. And I've been so busy. I've been implementing the new NSA recommendations. I'm sure you have, too. I'm sure you've been making a big about face and implementing their new recommendations to use only memory-safe programming languages. Quote, the NSA recommends that organizations use memory-safe languages when possible and bolster protection through code-hardening defenses such as compiler options, tool options, and operating system configurations. Well, with tips like this, we're, we're clearly going to become the cyber leaders of the world with, with uh, hot tips like this. How about this one? Configure your operating system. That, whoo, that is, you needed, you needed the experts at the NSA to tell us that. And uh, use your compiler options. Another hot tip from the National Spy Agency. It's really good. So I hope you've implemented that. I, I, I know you're trolling a bit, but I, <laughs> I actually think there are many, many people who read this article and probably did get some good tips. Yeah, these are the same people that keep getting... Uh, surprised and shocked that uh, ransomware mm -hmm. keeps locking up their data and they don't have backups to recover. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They're out there. They are absolutely out there. You know, the register piece goes out of its way to talk about rust. But I believe when I read the agency's actual recommendation on the NSA.gov website, because, you know, I hang out there all the time. I don't think they mention rust. They give other they mention other programming languages but it's funny because of all the languages they list rust is actually probably the most hardcore of the hardcore in terms of you must you know account for all your memory until you start throwing around the unsafe keyword and then you can do whatever you want because <laughs> you know okay here here we go on page three of their memory safe pdf that they put out software memory safety pdf that they put out on page three paragraph two they finally do mention Rust, and they give a shout-out to Swift as well. So, okay, I stand corrected. Those noted Apple fanboys at the NSA. <laughs> what a weird thing. I mean, it's good. It, I, I think the reason why I, I keyed a little bit is because, um, I don't know, it feels about 20 years late, when the options are like, use Java or Go or Rust, it's like, okay, you could, we could have used this a long time ago. Uh, it just is. A, it's to me. I think I have this complex of there's, they can never do enough. Okay, but what makes it late though? Well, I mean, if this is stuff people should have known ages ago. Okay, so so the counter argument to this, right, and and this ties into my still evolving to to FA debacle that security equals effort plus money. So a reason that lots of things are written in, let's say, Python is it is a fast language to develop it right this is this is like the whole raison d'etre for rails uh you, you know the, the biggest risk if you're a small organization is not that saudi arabia is going to hack your stuff it's that you're just going to run out of money or go bankrupt or a you know bigger competitor who may or may not have any employees left by the time we're done with the show is uh you know going to make a free version of what you're doing so i don't know i mean Compiled languages that enforce strict memory safety, yeah, they're definitely like there. There is a whole category. It, this is again, this is the Rust promise. There is a whole category of error, stability errors, but also security errors that are basically eliminated if you do things the right way in Rust. And that if is very big because if it's two in the morning and you know that you can slam that unsafe keyboard in there and get this goddamn thing shipped and not have to have the awkward Zoom call the next day, I'm pretty sure that 9 out of 10 of us, 99 out of 8 times, would just slam that unsafe keyboard in there. Yeah. It's If you are the NSA and have infinite money, 
this is great advice. And I think in general, looking at your compiler options is something that I'll admit I often don't do. Um, but certainly that, it seems to me that's actually the more interesting piece of advice out of this. Because like, oh, right, there are tweaks you can do in like if you're doing iOS and Xcode to, you know, kind of harden up your application, right, your software. Same for, you know, you know LLVM, CPP, all that stuff. Well, now we can say Rust has been recommended by the NSA. It's System76 and the NSA. That's where all the Rust people are. <laughs> All right, well, you mentioned your uh, two-factor woes. God damn it. We got quite a bit of feedback on that, so I picked a few. Christian wanted to recommend a GPL3 two-factor tool. He says, greetings, I'm listening to 491, and you're talking about your two-factor woes. One of my biggest fears was losing access to Google Authenticator, especially when I had a device requiring maintenance, and I didn't think about it in advance. Then I learned about Aegis, or A-E-G-I-S, it's a GPL3 authenticator for Android that supports multiple devices, multiple backups, and exporting your vault. So if you lose your device and want to enable another one, you can simply import your vault, no cloud required. It saved me already once or twice. So A-E-G-I-S, a GPL Android authenticator. And then another tip that several people emailed in is uh, they print out the QR codes and store them in a vault or a secured spot. And then they just manually re-import them via the QR code uh, when they when they need to. Um, how is it going over there? Have you been bit by anything in the time between now and last episode? So I I have been able to restore everything but my Instagram account. Oh, okay, um, which is insane because I log into Instagram via Facebook, but they they really just it's it's funny how little integration actually happened there, right? Right. I would say that I'm still of the opinion that all the workarounds that people have sent, it's just too much for Uncle Tim, or Uncle, not Tim Cook, but, you know, Uncle Ted, to actually do. If the reality for the normies is you break your phone and you're, therefore you lose all your 2FA if you haven't taken some highly, like, responsible I'm a man in a brown suit with a fedora hat on steps to prevent that, then this is way too far on the security uh, versus convenience scale. Now, if you do, in fact, work as a Rust developer for the NSA, well, then maybe that's the outcome you want, right? Like, But if you're you know, a dude who just wants to get his Instagram account back and has a surprisingly uh, small amount of photos of himself on that account, making the override thing very challenging, and they have no actual support that you can reach out to, it's... Uh, it's not worth it. And I don't think that 2FA as implemented today is the best solution. Now, I don't know what the right solution is. I would personally envision a solution maybe integrated into the operating systems that uses biometrics, i.e. face ID and uh, you know stuff like that. But I, I see the problem is I can write the objection to each of these two, right? What's the problem with face ID? Well, if you don't know how to put your phone in panic mode anytime somebody possibly wearing blue, can grab your phone, put it towards your face, and now they've unlocked your phone, right, forcibly. This is one of those things where it would be very easy for me to just be like, ha-ha, I'm a jackass and I shouldn't have messed this up, which is true-ish. But if we're supposed to think about normal users, I think the bar is just way too high, right? There needs to be some override. And yes, that's going to create security holes. Although, you know what the biggest security hole is? And I, I kind of say kudos to Instagram for having absolutely no support. And I know they have no support because they just keep firing people. It's always like social engineering, right? You can social engineer your way to lots of things. Who is that, Chris, that YouTuber, the InfoSec YouTube lady, who she's like, she pretended to be like a, you know, so, uh, the wife of somebody who was like in Iraq and she was just trying to get some information on some account. And then she like had a recording and she played the sound of a baby crying and she acted all flustered. And the guy on the phone finally like, okay, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'll get you off the phone and just read out the information. I don't know about that, but that's brilliant. I mean, that kind of social engineering works. This whole situation sucks. We haven't figured this out. You know, Microsoft and them. To put a fine point on it, you're saying you're saying it's too hard for regular people to use two-factor authentication. It works for a period of time. They get all in. They get all set up on it. And then at some point, they're going to get bit, and they're going to lose access to their digital stuff. Right. It's, it, it, it expects too much of you up front. It's too unforgiving, right? 
you know, I, I tried to explain it to a relative of mine who I am encouraging to use some form of two-factor authentication. And what I ended up telling him was, think about this. If you get married and up front, you have to hash out every single argument you're ever going to have at the engagement dinner. And if you ever encounter a disagreement that was not resolved, you automatically to get divorced. <laughs> That's what losing your 2FA key is, right? You have no way to handle an unforeseen circumstance. And, you know, trust me, if you go on Reddit and ask at the InfoSec people, how do I get around this? They're like, you should have been more responsible, you freaking jackass. So, yeah, that is true. A lot of victim blaming. Right. Which is amazing because these same very people like to never mind. I, I completely agree with you. And I think the same problem actually is also true about digital photography, although not to the degree of severity, but it's a good example of you can start to make decisions early on about pictures you're taking that you don't take too seriously. And then, you know, a few years down the road, they're some of the most valuable possessions you own. And you've never really given a lot of thought to how you're storing those photos. I just recently had to go redo all of that. Also, cryptocurrency self-custody is also very prone to this problem. If you get it wrong, you lose your investment, quote unquote. Hopefully you're not investing anything stupid. And on both ends, there needs to be a better technological solution for end users. I'll give you an example of something that starts to get there. Now, disclaimer, Bitwarden is a sponsor on Linux Unplugged, but Bitwarden, it doesn't solve the problem completely because you have to you still have to present it to people and tell them to start using it. But when you do their premium, they integrate the password management, the username generation, the password generation and auto in, autofill, and the two-factor code generation for those services all in one app. So you can have your secure passwords, you can have your two-factor codes, and it syncs across your devices. It's locally encrypted. It is what makes it possible for everyday users to have some kind of access to this. But you have to give them the value proposition and you have to tell them about it and tell them to go do it. Apple and Google and Microsoft are uniquely privileged because they can build this into the platform. And they have, you know, Apple has a two-factor system built in. Uh, Microsoft does as well. Google, we're all familiar with Google where we have to go launch another Google app on another device and approve a login. Because they have access to the platform and they can trigger actions on the local OS, they can provide a level of two-factor authentication integration that third-party services and apps just don't get access to. They just don't get access to those APIs. So they cannot create a user experience sufficient enough. They're limited in what they can do. And the platform providers, meanwhile, are doing like OS native dialogues and push services to get that two-factor in front of you. And it just makes me think, ultimately, these platform owners are going to be the ones that we use as all our centralized IDs because of this very problem, because the normals will not be able to figure out how to do it on their own. And then, and my last point on this, it perpetuates this problem that is getting worse and worse. And we're on the right side of it. We benefit. Anybody listening to this podcast benefits. But there is truly a divide now between people who understand a little bit of technology and people who have no idea. And the people who have no idea are getting preyed on by all kinds of spyware and monitoring and digital monetization. Their data is getting looked at. They're getting tracked constantly by their carrier, by their government, by, you know, corporation X, Y, and Z data brokers. They don't know how to store their own currency if they needed to. They don't know how to do two-factor authentication. They don't know about tools that enable more privacy and more secure passwords and secure communications they, you know, like they, they just are, there is this huge, what we used to call back in the Bill Clinton days, your buddy, that there's this huge digital divide now. Actual protection of your identity and your pictures, your memories, your services, your finances, all of that is diminished if you do not understand this technology. And the people who do understand it are in a better position to have more protection, to have more advanced investments, to have superior means of communication that can't be monitored and censored. Like the difference is really mattering now. And I feel like this two factor stuff and, and all these other digital trends are part of this broader th thing that's developing. And it's like, you're right. We could figure it out. 
you could learn from this and probably never make this mistake again and probably go forward with a system that works for you. But my aunts and uncles and my mom and dad, who, you know, are familiar with computers, I bet they don't use much two-factor authentication at all. And I don't know if I could even recommend it to them because if they lost their phone, my mom's lost a phone before, they could be completely SOL. And then guess who they're calling and asking what to do? And I won't have an answer for them. Right. It's gone. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out the best way to run applications for developers in the cloud. It's just the whole package. I mean, you got to be honest. It starts with the pricing, 30 to 50% cheaper than the options out there that are not as good. But you also have the support flexibility. However you like to take that support in, self-research, contacting via phone, email, ticket. They're there 365, seven days a week. Real people that can help you. And then the performance. Like that really, I think, rounds it all out. They've got 11 data centers today. They're opening up another dozen throughout next year. They have an application platform where you can just browse a bunch of really popular, useful tools from GitLab to NextCloud to Minecraft servers. I mean, the list goes on. They have databases as a service as well. If running a database server isn't your strong suite and you just want to focus on your application, they offer databases as a service, multiple different databases, MongoDB. They have Postgres and MySQL all available as a service. They have really powerful rigs. If you need something with a lot of compute or you need some GPU for the weekend, they've got systems that can accommodate that. And they've got nanodes, little itty bitty systems that could run a single blog or an instance or a photo gallery, something simple, or maybe a demo site for a client. Maybe you want to use one of their one-click deployments to do a file manager in the cloud so you can exchange files with friends, family, or a client. I mean, there's so many possibilities and so many opportunities to learn. And you can do it on a great platform that has a great company behind it and great performance while supporting the show and getting $100. That is a real great deal, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like, I think, the best deal in podcasting. So head over to linode.com slash coder. Grab that $100 and try it out. Linode makes the cloud simple, affordable, and accessible. linode.com slash coder. Just a little after we recorded last week, .NET 7 was released. Microsoft says thanks to the open source.net community, there have been 28,000 contributions uh, and 8,900 different contributors throughout the .NET 7 release cycle. And of course, with this is the new general availability of .NET MAUI for .NET 7, which they're quite hyped about in the performance category. And then going along with all of this, <laughs> was this quite nerdy? Very geeky .NET conference keynote, and we'll link to them all. Um, Microsoft just clearly decided to let the geeks run this um, in, a, in a way, and I don't mean that in a bad way, in a really good way. I think Microsoft is striking the balance between casual professional and letting their genuine personalities of their developers show without going to like too low-key where it just feels like a crappy Zoom call. And without going all the way to a WWDC style over the top production with crazy hair and transitions. I don't think Frederiki can help the hair. Yeah, I'm sure they spend a few minutes in hair and makeup making it just right for every scene. Well, he, he might consider buttoning his shirt every once in a while. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get him in just the right shirt, too. There's that. Yeah. But, you know, I, so I watched a few of these, like the state of the .NET Maui one. And I mean, it's clearly scripted and planned, but I think it's. It feels the most audience appropriate out of all of the big corporate demonstrations. Like, you know, it's not Sache up there. It's just the people who work on these teams presenting the videos. They're being a little geeky. They're clearly having fun. I don't know. I liked it. I, I liked all of it together as a presentation. The .NET 7 release, the keynote of the state of uh, .NET, and the state of Maui. It's really smooth. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good con uh, conference. I know we don't talk a ton about dotnet on the show uh, i will say they are still pushing maui and i am doing something in maui right now for a customer it is definitely more stable than it was before so yay yeah c sharp 11 which is part of this if you like c sharp which i actually think is a pretty good language it's a lot of quality of life improvements i don't know see i do wonder the ecosystem, how many people are really adopting the new stuff this quickly, right? 
I I get the impression it's much like the Java world where people stick to a to a long term support version for a while. Yes, I do too. Still, uh, it's good, right? C sharp is a adopting features at a rate that is mind bending. How large that language is now, but you can do what you need to do. One thing I'm looking at pretty pretty intensely is Blazor, which is their kind of web view, inject C sharp, cross platform on the web, web assembly solution. Uh, it's definitely not 100% ready for prime time in terms of uh, Blazor cross platform, which is what I'm looking at. But it is, it, it, I, I guess I would suggest that one, the presentations are really good. Like Chris says, two, I kind of thought last year that Maui was headed for the scrap heap. And I think they're actually going to pull it off, right? They're doing the work of getting things more stable, not having like weird things happen in Android that don't happen on iOS or vice versa. It, it's, you know, it's always going to be what it is, a cross-platform solution. And I still personally put a little more stock into web-based UIs. But uh, if I was a .NET hardcore person, I would probably be, you know, blogging about Maui, doing podcasts about Maui, because it's it's pretty sexy. I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the strategic planning when they're discussing what and how and when they're going to invest in Maui. And I just, I wish they were a little more transparent about that kind of stuff. I think it's hard, right? Because they, they, they keep trying, I mean, we don't have to go through the history of pain that is Windows Phone and you know, Metro UI and all that stuff again. But they, Maui is in many ways the dream that they've had for a long time. That keeps turning into a nightmare. There's a Bruce Springsteen song about this called The River. I think this time, you know, it only took them a decade. They might they might pull it off. Now, I, I do a little wonder if Maui is going to be one of those things that doesn't get huge adoption immediately because I think the target... I could be wrong, but I think the target for Maui is going to be your dark matter developers who are in .NET shops, which is like your major corporations, right? It is very focused on bringing your your Windows development skills to these other platforms. You know, I don't see your like small pseudo indie whatever mobile development companies really going to Maui unless they're already on Xamarin Forms or something like that. But it. It's weird. It, it, I guess I'm I'm feeling that it could be kind of like .NET as a whole, right? Something that the podcasty world, the you know hipsters don't really talk about, but it turns out to have like tremendous market share and line of business apps that nobody ever sees the light of day for because line of business. So we'll see. We need a name for that blind spot. That sort of like you know, what would you call that? That that ability to just sort of completely miss an entire category. We call it dark matter, but there's a term for like the blind spot. That causes the chattering class not to see it. It's interesting. I think you're right. I think there's a huge use case out there that many people are missing. Well, it's because you never see it, right? It doesn't go on the App Store. I'm sure if we went to insert your Fortune 500, there are tablets running Xamarin Forms and soon to be Maui, right? What do you think the most common use, just Maui specifically, would be if this thing is successful, it gets traction? As an end user, what's my, what's my experience going to be with it? Is it going to be... An app that's cross-platform? Is it going to be a, a point-of-sales device? Is it going to be an enterprise application that's on local devices, maybe some cheap Android devices, some business owns? All of the above. So I, I think it it's going to be... And in a weird way, this is a self-inflicted wound from Apple. In their effort to, to make the enterprise certificates harder to abuse, they've also made it more of a pain in the ass to do your line of business apps, native iOS. So. I'll give you an example, right? I, I live in an HOA community. The house is owned by a big company we've talked about before. They sent a guy because apparently there's a mysterious HOA violation that I, I don't know about. Guy comes with some cheap Android tablet. He's got like an app. He's looking. He's like, there's nothing wrong. I said, I know. Good talk, bro. But in there, he's going through and I can see it. I'm like, okay, yep. So that's a view controller and it just pushed it or, you know. And I know that it's cross-platform. Because while it's an Android device, very clearly, the transitions, the animations are all the old iOS push navigation trans, uh, transitions. <laughs> so that app could very well be uh, like a Maui, Xamarin Forms type thing. It's 
or it could be like an angular uh, ionic thing like what i usually do think about this this company is huge they have to have thousands of these guys just running around checking on all the properties they own and it's a great example of an app they don't need in the app store they don't need that in the play store i took my car to a jiffy loop Guy right there, I'm sitting in the car as I work on it, rings me up, not on a point of sale, on a tablet with a little thing hooked to it, and he's doing the whole thing. He takes a picture of the mileage, takes a picture of the van, they had to replace a part, takes a picture of the old part, the new part. Right there, bam, one tablet. You see in restaurants all the time, too? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and all of those are just basically internal corporate applications in most cases. Sometimes they're a web app or... That are actually making money, one presumes, right? They're actually productive, so... You hope. <laughs> you hope. You hope. But it's good to see .NET 7 land, and Microsoft seems to be going strong. I mean, nearly 9,000 different contributors to .NET 7. That's that's a legit open-source project. I mean, it's clearly governed by Microsoft, but it's a... Well, Microsoft is clearly the core of the Linux community. Oh, oh, oh. I don't believe you. All right. And also. Inappropriate? So we thought this was coming, and unfortunately, it did land just a little bit after we published last week. Meta announced they're laying off more than 11,000 employees. Damn. About 13% of their staff. Woo, Nelly. Yeah. And Zuckerberg says he's not ruling out further layoffs. That's a hard pivot. That's a <laughs> man. And then this morning, as the stream went live for Coda Radio, Amazon announced they would lay off approximately 10,000 employees this week. So that's your backyard. You think it's going to affect the local economy? I don't know, because the uh, Meta one actually had some significant Seattle layoffs as well. So, you know, combined, that's 20,000, 21,000, 22,000 people that are going to be looking for tech work. That's going to change things. Well, and, and Apple, not to be outdone, but being much more subtle as Uncle Tim is, are going to, quote, be very deliberate in their hiring. Yeah. And again, he says specifically because of economic uncertainty. You know, Amazon lost a trillion dollars in value since their new chief executive took over. I don't think that's, I don't think that's his fault. It's just the timing. You no, know, but the pressure is there to... Signal to investors, this is what I said weeks ago, is these tech companies, these leadership tech companies, these lead tech companies are going to make some of the most dramatic changes the quickest to signal that they recognize that they need to be all about value. And they're going to set the trend for all of tech. That's how it always works with these big five. And that's what's happening right now. It's happening in this last couple of weeks. We're seeing it play out. And it's brutal. I, I, you know, there's going to be listeners that are going to be hit by this. And so, I mean, that's why we've been talking about it, you know, is to prepare people. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's happening much faster than I think I, I for one, would have anticipated. Um, the meta stuff is kind of like Mark Zuckerberg is on some bender called the, the, the metaverse, right? Horizons, whatever they call it. Yeah, what's well, called the Facebook brand has been burned to the ground and he's got to build the next thing. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I mean, the fact that he, he's burnt more money on trying to make the metaverse happen. It, it's kind of insane. I forgot. I don't remember the figure, but it's billions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 20-something? Yeah. The Amazon thing seems supernatural in that, like, like very natural in that I think this Christmas year we're going to be reading stuff in the journal in Bloomberg about how holiday spending is dramatically down from, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's uh, consumption overall is going to be lessened uh apple i think we talked about it a couple weeks ago has cut productions of their brandy new flagship of iphones because nobody's buying them yeah uh, other than people who break their phone like me yeah or idiots like me on the subscription plan right well you're their best friend right now <laughs> you're 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 their bestie i don't know i i think uh i'm kind of hoping that this is like a the dinosaurs take a hit thing and we allow the mammals to rise, i.e. people who actually charge for software. Just something I'm dreaming about. But it's very possible that this is part of just a cyclical decline and we're all going to suffer together. So, I think the ruthless are going to survive. I know that people aren't going to like hearing this, but this has got to be part of the reason why Elon's going through Twitter like a wrecking ball. I still stand with my conspiracy theory. He was super drunk when he said he'd buy it. He was super drunk when he sent the letter to them buying it. And... 
now he just regrets it. Right. And yeah, well, he just spent $44 billion on something that's not worth $44 billion. And he wants to turn that thing around. And I would imagine if you buy a company like that, your first 90 days are going to be the most important. And you're going to have investors breathing down your neck. He knows it also is putting Tesla at great risk. So he's got to move quick and he's moving like a maniac as a result. He's only listening to people in his peer group. He's not listening to staff. He's only going to listen to other famous people at this point. And he's just going crazy. Like you just notice it. Like people will say this is a horrible idea and Elon just steamrolls them. And then a celebrity tweets back at him and says, hey, man, maybe you should rethink this. And he says, "Okay, all right, cool. It's not twenty dollars. We'll do eight dollars. What do you think of that? You like that? That better? And then that's what they do. They do eight dollars. It's it's wild. You're just watching like you're watching the man's process go down in public. And it's got a lot of people uncomfortable. And the other thing I realized, too, is a good percentage, maybe the majority of people are just really freaked out by chaos in general. So when anybody injects chaos, they immediately respond badly to it. But to me, it seems like Twitter was horribly broken. It's a dumpster fire that causes harm. I've been told that many times. And so if Elon were to actually destroy it, then that would reduce overall net harm in the world. <laughs> Chris is like, let it burn, baby. <laughs> yeah, let it burn. And if he and perhaps he makes something out of it. So, OK, so my problem in this is apparently I have no morals. I, I just look at the business problem of Twitter was never worth forty four billion dollars in reality. Right. He walked in arguably 20 to 30 billion in the hole, right? A, a, a paper loss. Yep. How are you going to make that kind of money when your product is Twitter? I, I sort of feel like this is like a Greek tragedy waiting to happen. And I will admit that I am super addicted to Twitter. I, I keep trying to, to wean myself a little bit, but I'm paying the eight bucks a month because uh, I know I got some crap for that. Oh, are you? I have I haven't done that. Yet. I am. Well, for the simple reason, again, it's just a business choice. Uh, do you know how much I've paid for ads on Facebook, Twitter, other places in the past? Sure. Yeah. So even if it does like gets me one or two meetings to like try to do an Alice sale or something, eight dollars a month. This might be the most affordable marketing campaign. In fact, no, this is the most affordable marketing campaign I've ever tried to run. And if it doesn't work, I just stop paying it. Right. It, it's it's really like it, to me, it's kind of silly not to try, given that you really can't do anything with digital advertising below a couple thousand dollars that if you want it to be effective. So the other thing that has worked for me is podcast ads, and I often will buy them or YouTuber ads because the problem there is you need to usually make a video, which can be quite expensive for a good one. So eight bucks a month, not a lot of money. Good for me if it works. Actually, good for me even if it doesn't, because I just lose eight bucks a month, right? For a little while. Not going to get you $30 billion, though, right? <laughs> it's just not enough money. And I, I, I will say, like, I do not share the doom and gloom about, you know, like Elon's evil or the political crap. But Twitter has become like weird recently. And I, when I say weird, I mean like a little more unstable for me. And, and I, mean, I mean technically unstable, right? Like slower, whatever. And I don't know how he plans to – you're not going to make up $20 billion by getting the customers to pay at this point. The biggest – the people who spend drunk money on advertising are the auto manufacturers who you are their direct competitor – so I doubt they're eager to write you a check. And you kind of destabilized your core business, which is Tesla, because you got mad at who I think is probably one of the best CEOs of our generation, uh, Agarol, because he literally did nothing, yet is going to make $312 million, which let me tell you, he is going to get that money. Galloway has a good thing about this, about firing people for cause. I have a very similar story. I had a guy send a customer neo-Nazi propaganda because he got mad at him and he got loaded and he did, he did that. I fired the kid for cause. He took me to court. I had to pay the New Jersey uh, stupid labor court because they're all, you know, Jeez. let's just say there's not a lot of elephant judges there. Uh, they, they don't give a you pay. Pay the unemployment no matter what. So Agarol, there's no like even legitimate cause depending on where you are, and in the Soviet Republic of California, you're paying. 
So no offense to California, but it's just something. Yeah, I think you, you're right, though. In Texas, he wouldn't have to pay. Right in Florida, he'd never pay. Right. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you have to understand that he's crazy. Like he he's not done losing money on this. No, no, he's gonna keep going. Yeah. I would probably be a much mentally healthier person if Twitter kind of just like went away. Clearly one of the worst mistakes in history. He claims he's working 70 hour to 80 hour work weeks. I don't know. I I think if you if you think about what's motivating, I think if you just if you just solve for what's the fastest way to do something and solve it. And I think when it comes to these technical breakages that people are noticing, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I think his whole attitude is, "Oh, let's it and find out. Let's just find out. F- around and find out. Let's just see what happens. And when it breaks, it breaks and we'll fix it then. I'll bring in somebody who knows how to fix it and they'll solve for it. Um, I saw him on Twitter. I think it was yesterday morning or this morning talking about, oh yeah, sorry that was down. The guy that wrote this just you know, did a horrible job. And then of course the developer who wrote it <laughs> chimes in on the thread. Yeah, I saw that the Android app. Yeah, I was like, what are you talking about, idiot? <laughs> oh my God, it's so embarrassing. But that's to me, symptomatic. No, you know what's more embarrassing? Firing someone and then having to call them back to rehire them because you realized you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's moving fast, breaking things. And you know, there's there's a bit of only Elon Musk could do this because, because he's rich and because of the crew around him. You know, he, when you're in his presence, there's people around him who are captured by him. You know what I mean? They are there to work for him and they see things the way he sees things. And they are there to enable him. And so he is surrounded by teams of people who are there to enable him. He is profoundly rich. So he truly has you money and he can kind of get away with stuff. He can kind of become this jobian archetypal character, you know, where he is totally just coming in like a wrecking ball and tearing everything up in the name of trying to make it work and fix it and make it better. And I think where the jury's out is. He could completely burn and spin out, completely wreck Twitter, leave it a dying husk, and then somebody else awful comes around and snatches it up. Or he flushes out all of the entitled employees who were slowing things down and making the place a worse place to work. And he comes up with a core product that while it has some technical issues in about three months, things are turned around and it's looking pretty good. It's possible. Is is it? Thirty billion dollars possible? Honestly, it seems like an easier problem than landing hundreds of rockets on a platform that's floating in an ocean that has wind and waves. And I mean, it seems like a simpler problem than what SpaceX is solving. And he managed to put a team together that could do that. And Starlink, too. Like, it all seems like actually out of all of his problems, out of all of his companies, Twitter actually seems like the simplest because it's truly just a staffing problem. I will concede that if he pulls this off, this is his like. Wow. Amazing. Elon's right again. Geez, like never question him again. Right. Invest with him every time. But he'll never all the people that are railing him now will never change their tune. They'll never give him credit for it. Well, this is the problem to pull this off. Right. It's a consumer product. Effectively, you need positive press, which I don't know if you've noticed not happening. True. True. The people who work for you, you actually do need good engineers and they need to not all hate you. So that's a. I would say, <laughs> yep, you got to have a team that's bought in. A plurality of them don't like you. You made yep. a lot of weird promises that, well, on some level, people could agree with about like censorship and stuff like that are anathema to advertisers right now. So there's one revenue stream down and they piss off the press who you absolutely are going to need. I'll give it to you, put it to you this way. If he wasn't Elon, the way Twitter would die is, okay, let's just say somewhat right-wingy guy uh let's just say mike dominic buys twitter right you know how they kill it they just don't cover it right it, no traction you just go away it doesn't matter yeah right they make it irrelevant his kind of sort of crazy persona is helping him but at some point you need to generate the revenue and you know spacex thank you defense department and u.s government tesla uh, thanks, literally, thanks, Obama, right? Lots of subsidies there, a lot of help. People are cheering for you. You're being hailed as a hero, a climate change warrior. In this case, he's a villain. And those same forces that propelled him are actively rooting for him to fail. And agreed, causing him, like they're they're not just rooting, they're, they're in the game. Yeah, I'd say they're successful. 
um, so far. I, I, you're right. And the other reason why I think you're right is if you go back to the premise, this whole thing was a lark. It was an uh, intoxicated tweet that he backed himself into a corner, and then he got in a fight with the CEO, and he had to take it all the way. And now he's stuck with the serious problem, and he's just going to continue to behave erratically. The consequences of failure seem pretty dramatic since Tesla is the most successful EV company. Starlink could change Internet for all kinds of people like myself. There's like a lot of consequences to him screwing this up. And and it's going it is going to be the process is going to be in front of all of us. Yeah, it's literally going to happen on Twitter, right? It's a fiat world, my friend. Oh. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to try it for free for up to 20 devices and support the show. Tailscale is a zero config VPN. You'll get it up and going in minutes. It manages your firewall rules. It takes care of your NAT situation. Devices connect directly to each other in a mesh flat network using WireGuard's noise protocol. It builds you the best VPN in the biz, and it's so smart about how it routes its traffic, too. I think you're going to be blown away by that. Even if your different devices are separated by firewalls and subnets, Tailscale just works. Everything looks like it's on a flat network. I was really grateful for Tailscale recently when we had a power outage. A bunch of devices came back up that were using dynamic IPs that I'd forgotten about. So I did know the IPs of a couple of my systems. But their Tailscale IP stayed the same. So I just connected to them over Tailscale and then figured out what the IP address was for the local LAN. And again, like I was saying, Tailscale is real smart. It routes that traffic over the LAN. It doesn't have to go out to the internet through like some sort of old school tunnel. It figures out where it's supposed to go, and it protects that traffic with WireGuard. Devices connect directly to each other after you sign in through your existing identity provider. So whatever you're already comfortable with. If you want to enforce multi-factor authentication there, you can. If you're using it in a work setting and you want to be able to deauthorize employees, you can. It's so great. And Tailscale VPNs are always on, on every OS I always use, so it's always there. They got a GUI-based ACL editor, great DNS features, and it's just dead simple to use. I use Tailscale every day. You're going to love it. So go try it for yourself for free, up to 20 machines at tailscale.com slash coder. So in today's version of Never Trust the Tech Press, whenever they're covering anything, the collapse of FTX and Sam Bankman fraud is quite the headline right now. It's what all the other tech stuff is talking about. But there's one angle that I thought the Coder audience should be aware of just so they know how this stuff works in the future so they can sniff these things out. It turns out Vox, um, I know Mr. Dominic's a big fan over there of, of Vox. I do like the verse, yeah. Vox took direct money from SBF to basically write puff pieces about what a great, generous billionaire he was. They wrote a whole spiel on him. They basically wrote propaganda for the scammer who was stealing from people and embezzling money and investing it and sending money to politicians. Turns out he was also just paying Vox Media to just write positively about him, about him personally, and I'm sure about FTX as a result. And uh, I think you have to understand, I'll put a link to the thread in the uh, show notes. I think you got to understand how this stuff works. And this thread kind of reveals, it pulls that curtain back a little bit. Um, and I know this to be true. We got three emails this week offering to pay us to bring somebody on the show and talk about them like they're an expert and a pro. Three of them this week, just this week. So I thought with all of this, if you're interested at all with all this FTX crap going down, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can go read it for yourself. There's just, I think, a real revealing that happens there. And the whole thing is sickening, I have to be honest. I guess I'm glad to see him caught. Did, you know the, the other crazy thing about that? It was like a house of 10 of them, a $30 million mansion in the Bahamas. And they were all sleeping together, living in this house, embezzling money between their companies. It was all out there in front of the press, all of it. All available, all of their family connections, everything was there. But it just didn't get reported on. And instead, uh, Fortune magazine ran a, a piece back in September with SBF on the cover saying that he was the next Warren Buffett. This guy who turns out to be a total scammer and use, you know, basically issuing paper money 
they had billions and billions and billions and billions in liabilities and a, and a couple million in actual funds. The whole, like that, that was the peak example of tech and financing just getting absolutely out of control. So, yeah, do you remember the tech press of like the early aughts? And if you want to go really hardcore, uh, some of the quote featured stories, this is pretty common, right? Yeah, it's probably been an issue in tech for forever, I would imagine. For a long time, right? Or how about uh, Apple was really good at doing this, although they didn't pay people. They, but like access journalism, they only talk to people they like that say nice things about them, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, Fox did disclose this. I'm not necessarily here to defend them. I I am a fan of their work, of especially The Verge. But I will say that it's... So I don't know anything about SPF. I don't, you, we've talked about it before. I'm not super into the crypto stuff. Uh, the thing that's caught my eye is the lack of actual like tech reporting going on. And I think we talked about this privately, right? It's, they've really, and I can only really want to speak about The Verge because that's the one I follow the most. They've really leaned into this, like, these are media company thing. And it feels a little weird. Now, I, I tend to believe but I could be wrong that there are interesting tech companies being founded that nobody hears about and interesting devices being built, uh, you know, software applications being built, stuff like that. And they're somehow not getting in my eyes as much oxygen as they used to. I don't know that that might be unfair. I completely agree though. Well, I, I just look at the front page and it's like four Twitter stories, right? Yeah. And I get it. Elon Musk says crazy crap and that's easy clickbait and it is a business, but you know, we've talked about this with events, too. I I kind of feel the tech press is like the press is in capital letters in bold and tech is like, you know, small size font, lowercase italics. I just I do believe there must be innovation going on somewhere. Maybe it's not here, right? Maybe there's some kid in Shanghai doing it. Maybe there's some awesome Indian startup that we should be hearing about or some, you know, uh, biotech invention in Oslo. It doesn't necessarily need to be Silicon Valley, but it's just, I don't know. I, I know that's not the story you were going with. I just... I No, I think you're right. It's a meta... You're right. You zoom out and I see exactly what you're seeing. I trace it back to VC funding. I trace it back to VC funding, networking. Wouldn't, wouldn't the VCs want their stuff being covered? Yeah, but it's all a game, right? Certain VC firms have a lot of credibility and a lot of brand recognition. So if you are... If you're if you're backed by one of those, then all of a sudden the tech press is just more likely to cover you. And when they talk about you, they'll write that as a, something that gives your project or your company authority. You've noticed this, right? It's like these certain luxury brand VC companies, like when they invest in you, like Sequoia, who also invested in FTX, when they invest in you, it's a big deal. So, OK, so um, that Springboard documentary that Vox did, I think it's on is it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Uh, about the uh, Palm OS and kind of the that first generation of what we now call smartphones, the you know the, the what we used to call what PDAs basically that didn't take off. That was like old Vox, right? Old The Verge, really good. They talked to the principals, they talked to engineers, they talked to designers. Like I, it was a refreshing blast of uh, the past. I mean, even the new homepage looks like Twitter, which is interesting. Well, before we move off, I want to read something. This is from Sequoia's website. They were so proud of this that they actually had this publicly posted on their website as an example of how hip they are. Um, this is why they decided to invest in FTX. They write, that's when SBF told Sequoia about the so-called super app. Quote, I want FTX to be the place where you can do anything you want with your next dollar. You can buy Bitcoin. You can send money in whatever currency to any friend anywhere in the world. You can buy a banana. You can do anything you want with your money from inside FTX. And then it goes on to say, suddenly, the chat window on Sequoia's side of the Zoom lights up with partners freaking out. In all caps, I love this founder, typed one partner. I'm a 10 out of 10, pinged another. Yes, with three exclamation marks, exclaimed a third. What Sequoia was reacting to was the scale of SBF's vision. It wasn't a story about how we might use fintech in the future, or crypto, or a new kind of bank even. 
It was a vision about the future of money itself, with a totable addressable market of every person in the entire planet. Right? This is the hubris. Do you think they actually believe that, though? See, I, I think that's just marketing bull. Well, then it turns out that it was discovered that during that entire meeting, SBF was also playing League of Legends. And they thought that was so great. Oh, my God, he's so brilliant. He can pitch us. Which was a three-sentence pitch about basically he wants to turn FDX into how you spend your next dollar. Wow, he can pitch us while playing a video game. He must be a genius. I hate myself so much right now. I know. They write, actually, this is actually what they say. Not only that, Aurora says, but League of Legends is kind of a multiplayer online battle arena video game. And they explain why it's really hard and you got to do gang killings. She says, I was watching over SPF's shoulder and he answered that final question from Sequoia like, yeah, and this guy is in there playing this game. It's amazing. And then they, then they write that he must be a genius. We have to figure out how to work with him. He has clear purpose and well-understood deliverables. That's a powerful combination, they write. <laughs> like, all he said was, we want to be able to spend your next dollar. And they were throwing money at this guy. If it was Dota, would they have been less impressed? I'm just saying. There you go. So that is the state of VC and finances and tech. And this is the kind of crap that it leads to. Well, also, the, the, okay. So the funnier part of the story to me is if you look at this guy, like just take a look, knowing nothing about the business. He is the young Mark Zuckerberg mold. He literally is the stereotype. Went to MIT, physically looks like a, a Zuckerberg clone, right? D different hair, but, you know, same. Like so much for diversity and inclusion, right, guys? Uh, we would just want the rich middle, you know, white kid who went to MIT. Cause... He played this character well, you know, because he'd wear a hoodie. Or a t-shirt. My hat's off to him. I like, Good job. He pretended like he only drove uh, a Toyota Corolla. And like that was like the point of one. He drives a Corolla. Of course, it turns out he also has like a garage full of very high-end sports cars. He lives in a $30 million mansion. Well, well, that's part of the character, right? You have to pretend like you actually like live to code and only care about the, the technology and have this great vision. And his whole, I, his whole thing was something about just being ultimately altruistic like their goal for as a company his company goal for ftx was is to make as much money as possible so they could do as much good in the world as possible and that's why they were paying off vox and others to create this bull image about the most generous billionaire in the world and it was all fed into this whole hype image and the idea was to basically make this guy the face of the crypto industry there's reports that he was working with the sec to do that and who knows man but it just very gross situation. And a lot of people got wiped out as a result. And, you know, they're playing around with their own stupid, crappy token, paper money. And they used their paper money as collateral. And uh, their collateral was based on their customer deposits. And when their customers did a bank run after their balance sheet was leaked, their collateral became worth nothing. And so all of their loans got basically margin called, you know, because collateral wasn't worth enough anymore. And FTX just started collapsing. And then they, with, they suspended withdrawals. Then customers couldn't get their funds out. And then a few days after that, clearly somebody internally had a backdoor and they drained $600 million out of customer accounts and stole it. it. It's amazing how everything meant to replace the banking system turns out to be like a really the 1800s version of the banking system. Well, any, I think the red flag is, is anytime, they're, anytime they're screwing around with their own, their own currency, their own token, that's a red flag. That's an immediate nope. Don't do wait, it. Wait, 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 wait. You don't want Mad Botter token? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jar Jar Coin, coming to you. You know, it's it's better to wash this stuff out now than when the Fed does start printing money again and people go risk on and cryptocurrencies start rallying again. Then this guy just would have been able to cover up all of this. He was trying to raise millions in funding. And if he would have gotten that millions in funding a week before he collapsed. Also been lit on fire. He would have covered all this up. He would have papered it over. I just want to say you're adorable right now. Why is that? You think that by, or you implied that by washing this stuff out now, that the next time the money printers go burr, these very same VCs aren't just going to do the same thing? I mean, are you crazy? Yeah, I suppose they will. Yeah, I guess they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, this stuff is just like the new pets.com, right? Nothing's changed. It is totally, it is, it is the 2008 financial crisis and the dot-com bubble in one event for crypto. I don't know. I think I think 
the more I watch all of this, the more it all just all this Web3 stuff is a total scam. It's all a scam. I don't think it's all a scam. I think the underlying technology for blockchain actually has some very boring, very boring applications. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. But it is not like this universal database replacement that all of these projects claim to be. And their tokens, they're all fake paper money. And the people behind the projects have been issued the token in advance for free. So whenever the token goes up slightly in value, they they make a bunch of money. And it's all just a red flag. There's only one true crypto, and that is the Bitcoin, my friend. No, there, there is one other currency. A boost, baby. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. And you text sent us... 250,000 sats this week, showing some love for his favorite JB host and show. Mike, you are freaking awesome. Suck on that stow, which is not around (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Those jerks over at Linux Unplugged feel embarrassed now. Thank you, Anutech. We appreciate that. Uh, Tackoff751 boosted in live during the show. With uh, 2009 sats. He was trying out a live boost to see if we got it. Yes, we did. He's hacked together a whole system. He's got like Linode in there. He's sending a boost with webhooks. Uh, he's got uh, Matrix, I think, to compose it. And it landed. So congrats, Tack. You built, uh, you built yourself a system there, I think. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Strung it all together and made it work. That's the nice thing about an open network, isn't it? All right. Elry741 boosted in with a row of ducks. 2,222 sats. So the two-factor stuff hit super close to home for me. A very close loved one of mine, not mentioning who, because I don't think they want to be identified, just went through all of this, and even worse, they couldn't get any cellular connection. Oh, my Lord. So no SMS for the last two weeks. Oh, man. I'm going to send a contact form with uh, more details. He did, and uh, he essentially wrote a really great blog post on preventing a two-factor authentication crisis from everything he learned uh, from going through uh, his family member and also listening to your journey. This looks really great. Uh, he really recommends Authy too, because again of that cloud sync, which might be the way I would go to if I was going to recommend anything for somebody who was non-technical. Might be Authy. If anybody can tell me why that's a bad idea, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Mm. But thank you, Elry. We will link to the preventing two-factor authentication crisis in the show notes for listeners who want to give that a review. I think that's probably a good idea. Dennis V boosted in with 100 sats. Finally, I'm back on track with the show. I'm sending my first boost via the Fountain app in the Earn sats while listening. I just wanted to say I'm using YubiKey for my two-factor authentication. I needed to re-download the YubiKey Authenticator, and I had to hold my key onto it. I'm currently driving a harvester in Australia and as a backpacker from Germany, and I had plenty of hours to catch up on all your podcasts. Any recommendations for other podcasts to follow? Thanks for all the shows. Listen to them while I'm working. Time goes by fast. Hmm. Do you have another show recommendation? My other shows are Star Trek shows, so they're very embarrassing. If you like Star Trek shows, I got a few recommendations. Oh, I think you should just recommend those. I like Business Wars, depending on who it is. They just did Chipotle and Taco Bell. But I'm very boring. Mine are mostly business and news, and uh, I listen to sections of ATP. I recommend The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast, mm. and it's it's fun. The guys don't take themselves too seriously. Purple Dog boosted in with 3,000 sats. One of Purple Dog is Alex. He says, I self-host all my important stuff because my backups are in cloud storage and then they're encrypted locally first. The keys are passwords and the two-factor codes are all in Bitwarden. Bitwarden has that two-factor authentication recovery codes and I store that in my desk with a YubiKey to unlock that. The uh, TOTP is uh, for my Authy. If my house ever burned down and I lost everything, I, t- I decided I'd use Authy because the backup password is memorized and I actually don't store that in Bitwarden. So he's kind of got a mix. Like he's got basically his access to Bitwarden is in Authy and then he has his other two factors inside Bitwarden. So he kind of has like a disaster plan if his house burns down using that Authy sync, but he doesn't use Authy for everything. That's a clever idea, dog. Purple Dog continues with another 2,000 sats. You know, I actually kind of like Chris's ad read voice. It makes it much easier to skip. I already use Linode Tailscale and Bitwarden. That is intentional, I will say. Uh, if you use it already, then just let, let a friend know, you know, spread the word. 
Send him, send him Mike's way too sometimes. You know, there's always more places to visit. That's true. I love this next username. Hybrid sarcasm. Boost in with a 1024 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. Here's a tip for memorizing the wife's phone number. Change her name or alias title in the contacts app so the phone number is what you see always instead of her name or their name. Only took me a few weeks and I have that number down pat. Five years later, still in my head. That's actually a pretty good idea is to put it in the contact information. That's, I think I'll do that hybrid. I might try that. Yeah, that actually, that would help. I, I, you know, I used to have like a whole list of phone numbers memorized and then I got a smartphone. Then I got a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Peg dot boost in with 1701 sats, the enterprise boost. Make it so. Uh, we recently gave him advice to check out TNG. And then last week we mentioned perhaps strange new worlds. He says, I definitely want to watch strange new worlds. I want to watch Rings of Power first, though. I got a few friends who like Rings of Power, and I don't want to enrage them too much. Also, I don't watch TV series on a regular basis, so I mostly only watch them every few months. So what I do is I watch the first season of each show first. Whoa! This is a... Whoa, this is this is wild. I, I don't know if that's allowed. That feels weird. See, he doesn't just binge it? Yeah. Mm. Also, I feel like... I feel like I gotta give an honorable mention to... Lower Decks, it was a solid season. If you like the fun. I hate fun. If you like fun and funny, yeah. Uh, it was a good, solid season. So if uh, you've got like, you know, 13, 14-year-old kid around, it's great. It's great for that kind of thing, too. And then uh, I, I'm going to give a long-term plug once you get all done there, Peg, to uh, The Expanse. Because that will make your life better. So I got I got I got it. I got to give that. Plug. I got to check it out. That's on my list. Yeah. You got to give it at least five episodes, too. I like how we recommend shows, but we're like, and the first half is terrible. No, sometimes we, you're right. You know what? You know what? Sometimes that's how it goes. It takes them a little bit to get their feet. Like our first hundred episodes, probably not so high. It's like going to bed with me. It's all terrible. No, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, I don't want the review. No Yelp reviews, please. <laughs> okay. Dave Jones, the Pod Sage, boosted in with those big set of Enterprise sats, 17001 sats. Nice. Dave says the fourth season of TNG is pure magic. The cast and the writers just gelled together to form something truly new and special. Shut up, Wesley. I agree, Dave. However, I actually think it it really starts in season three. There's spots in season three like Offspring yes. and a few other episodes that are just so good. I, I like the I like the cringe of season one, though. I don't know. And I technically say part one of Best of Both Worlds is probably slightly better than part two. And part one takes place in season three, Dave Jones. So riddle me oh, that. Oh, is that the old, Although, that's the Mirror Universe one, right? No, Best of Both Worlds is when Picard gets assimilated. Oh, yeah. Who does, first of all, wouldn't it be nice to be assimilated? I, I feel like that would actually solve a lot of problems. Not to mention you'd live forever. And no more food bill. No more food bill, no more having to think about nothing, no more having to worry. Talk about a uniform. You want to talk about a uniform. That's right. Chris's uniform becomes part of the Borg high fight. Problem solved, dude. Problem solved, right? So great. Oh, I love it. All right. Thank you, everybody who boosted in uh, Ahanigan. Uh, Ahanigan. 4,000 sats. Thank you, everybody. Newpodcastapps.com. If you'd like to boost in, you go grab one. Sats are cheap right now. They're probably going to be cheap for a while, especially if... Uh, 2023 ends up being a recession so don't grab a lot but grab enough to send a boost in why not send a little extra in since they're cheap right now we Ooh. still love them they still mean something to us uh strike if you're in the u.s blue wallet if you're outside the u.s cash app is also really great and if you want to challenge robosats if you got the tor browser our coder qa members keep us going they invest in the ongoing production and the coderly is coming together eventually it has been a wild wild quarter q4 is a hard one and i blame halloween it threw everything off I do. Oh, and I want to thank you all for taking the survey I posted a couple weeks ago uh, regarding languages and frameworks you're using. That is going into the Coderly. Haha. <laughs> you can support the show and get an ad free feed at coderqa.co or do it for all the shows. Get all the shows ad free at jupiter.party. That's how you do that over there. And then, of course, we're live on Mondays. We do it at uh, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern over at jupiter.tube. And then we got the Matrix chat room going during the live show, but it's it's really going all week. Mike and I pop in there throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Details of that, coder.show slash Matrix. You know, we we could have, for all these times we've mentioned the Matrix, we could have had like a 
Keanu Reeves soundbite or a blue pill thing, you know, whatever it is this whole time. We've missed out on the opportunity. That, oh, you don't want to say red pill. I get it. Oh, oh, is that? I, I just never remember which one. Yeah, the which. blue pill is, well, although blue pill, you stay in the matrix, right? Right. Don't you want to be in the matrix? Yeah. I mean, right now, I'd love to be in the matrix. Let's call it That's what I'm saying. things I know now about how gullible VCs are. Just send me back. Right. I, I want to do a, uh, what is it? Time, what, not time cup. What's the one with, uh, yeah, let's go back. Uh, oh my God. Not Steve Buscemi. Uh, jeez. Yeah. Are, are you talking, are you talking about back to the quantum future? leap? Oh, oh, no. Bacula. I want to do a quantum leap. I want to go back to like, give me 2009. Just send me back New York, 2009. I'll be like, listen, guys, we're going to make an app. It's going to say one word, and that word is yo. And you're going to give me $5 billion. Amazing. You're right. And we know for a fact, that they would say yes. So. We should have known with yo. We should have known. We should have known. We, I should have just, you know, fired everybody a la Elon, <laughs> started a new company, just went all, you know, all in on conning. I mean, acquiring VC investment. <laughs> all right. Do you have anywhere you want to send people this week? If you've got a time machine, can you come to me? Uh, no, yeah. if I go to, <laughs> I don't know, DominicM.com. I'm trying to find something more fun than Twitter. But for now, at Dumanuko on Twitter. Yeah, that's Matrix for me. It's my social network. Uh, it is Matrix. I'm in the Matrix all the time. Yeah, at Coda Radio Show is the uh, is the show on Twitter. If if you're doing that, um, you know. Otherwise, you can just go get links and stuff, and just go to our website. That's a good idea. Coder.show. This episode would be at coder.show slash four ninety two. Links to everything we talked about over there, including our RSS feed. So you just get that nice edited version by Drew whenever we publish it. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program, and I hope to see you right back here next week. <laughs>